0: This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Tuesday, November 16th. The Major League Baseball offseason is underway in earnest. We've got players signing we've got front office people moving around so brendan things are are happening nothing quite yet on the exciting front uh for the cubs since the the wade miley acquisition but stuff is happening around the league we're getting there
1: it feels good to be connected to you know some of the rumors and being in the conversation for the first time in what like three or four years so it's a nice change of pace, and I—I I don't know. I feel like cautiously optimistic, Corey, but that could just because, that could be just because we're early in the season.
0: Yeah, we've got a long way to go. There is, of course, still the looming CBA negotiations and a potential lockout. And all of that really fun stuff that us fans are are here for, right? You know, financial negotiations and things like that. That's why we really all love baseball, of course, of course. Yeah, but uh, let's—we have uh, plenty to get to, despite the Cubs not really doing anything um, in terms of of roster construction since we last spoke to y'all. Uh, We'll talk about some of the rumors that they're in. We'll talk about some of the other players that have already signed and and made decisions and uh, what that says about the market, what that says about things that may relate to the Cubs, etc. Uh, but first, the Cubs did do something in in the week since we spoke, uh, and they have a new assistant pitching coach, and that is Daniel Moskos uh, from the Yankees organization. He has been all over. Uh, his resume is is quite impressive as a, as a player and as an instructor as well. He has worked at uh, Driveline. Uh, I think most of you probably familiar, uh, but that is of course, uh, where Kyle Body came from, he was with the Reds for a little while, and kind of the uh, leaders, I guess you would say, Brendan, and kind of that the, the new paradigm of where uh, pitching and pitching development is at was a minor league pitching coach in the Yankees organization, and this is you know sort of technically a new role for the Cubs. They did not have an assistant pitching coach, so this is. Something they're developing. Obviously, we know the Cubs' coaching staff as a whole has had some turnover. Mike Borzello no longer here. He played a lot of roles. Not he was not, you know, the assistant pitching coach, but I'm sure he had a voice in terms of what they were doing for pitching. So, um, you know, is this something to kind of replace that? Is this uh, another role? We'll have to see how the rest of this offseason goes. But uh, Brendan, this is another, you know, new voice coming to the Cubs organization, which I think you and I have talked about being big fans of, you know, just getting some new voices in there, especially with how frequently we've seen kind of, um, you know, guys from a similar learning tree, right, Uh, you know, in both the front office and on the coaching staff in past years. So I think good to see someone with a different background from different organizations and things like that. Um, And, you know, hopefully this is a continuation of the Cubs' efforts to strive to get more at the forefront of the the pitching development and and pitching paradigms of the league whereas of course in years past they have felt and been at you know really the bottom of of that uh mm-hmm. you know really except for maybe the most recent years so i don't know if you have any mm-hmm. strong feelings on this but uh you know what was your kind of
1: initial read on this i i like his entire history. I like the fact that he's also younger, not just because like I you know hate older coaches. It's not that's not the case, but he came up with DriveLine when DriveLine was kind of making a name for itself. He got an opportunity with the Yankees pretty young as well and had immediate success. So to me, the fact that he's so successful at this young age speaks volume to, you know, work ethic and innovation and with the Yankees as uh, basically leading the Double A pitching staff there, all league best for ERA. the The Double A Yankees, I guess they're called the Patriots, had a 3.3 ERA, a, a 1.1 WHIP, best in Double A, and he gets a lot of praise from guys who are respected around the league and including, you know, the founder of of Driveline. So I like it. It sounds as if his role is going to be more specialized towards developing you know, pitches, whether that be pitch grips or being more hands-on in the lab. You know he's going to bring in different perspectives as well, which which I like. Tommy Haddavy's done a great job. Kirk Bressler's done a great job. Casey Jacobson, all those guys have done a really phenomenal job bringing new pitches to the table. But now you add in one more guy to that mix, and that guy is at the major league level. Now, Tommy Hottaby can delineate some responsibilities, work on maybe some more general workflows and perspectives. I like it. It's a win. He kind of crosses all of the check boxes. And for a Cubs major league team that's trying to get guys like Justin Steele and Keegan Thompson and Braylon Marquez and Alves Ali, all these guys to the next step, add more guys who have had a recent success helping other guys in similar situations do that bringing in new
0: voices bringing in guys you know who have that experience with driveline and can kind of help guide you to where pitching is going uh, you know as a whole i think is a exciting development. And and actually, I, I forgot to mention that the Cubs also have a new assistant hitting coach, and that is Johnny Washington, who had been with the San Diego Padres back when uh, now Cubs staff member Andy Green uh, was working for the Padres. He was their hitting coach in 2019, which was Andy Green's final year there. He took the pandemic season off and then was in South Korea in the KBO. So uh, the Cubs have uh, a new coaching staff, really. You know, we all know Tommy Hotovy, of course. We all know David Ross. But there is going to be a, a different look in that Cubs dugout when things get underway in uh, I don't know if it's late April or, or late March or early April this time, but whenever things get underway, the Cubs coaching staff is is going to have a, a newer look, I think a younger look. And, you know, you hope that that all is for the better. The Cubs have made a ton of coaching changes, you know, if we're just looking at things back since like 2015, right? Manager turnover, a million hitting coaches. Um, so, it's tough to say if you know this is kind of the the group that sticks out for a while but i think is similar to what they're doing with the front office you kind of just have to look at what is the th- what is the thought process seem to be in in what they're looking for in in these hires what are their backgrounds what are their specialties and i think what the cubs are identifying to me as as someone just sitting here looks it looks like there there's a deliberate approach going on here and i think
1: hopefully it is uh you know to the benefit of the baseball team right for years the cubs were behind we were hiring guys like jim hickey chili davis guys who have spent decades at the professional level the major league level And you get entrenched in what has worked during those eras. This, of course, is a different era. It's being pioneered by new techs, being pioneered by analysts and younger coaches. And it's it's a different sport. So of course you want to be at the forefront of that. And from 2017 up until even probably last year or just right at the end of the COVID season, Cubs didn't really have much going for them in that department. You are hearing around the minor leagues, the Cubs are behind, the Cubs are behind. And you saw Tampa Bay and Houston and the Twins and these guys come out of nowhere, essentially. Now maybe the Cubs can be that team, right? So there is an emphasis there. Jet has identified that in not only with these coaches, but bringing in Carter Hawkins, it's exciting for for once we're talking about fresh faces, younger faces, who have uh, more of an unorthodox upbringing into their positions.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think like they're trying to get to the forefront of things, right? And it and you kind of alluded to this in terms of like, not bringing in older guys it, it's not necessarily an age thing and, and, and there's nothing inherently wrong with relying on guys that have a reputation and that have been around the game for a long time but you know sometimes the game changes right and even though guys have had a lot of success doing things a certain way sometimes that runs out right and it, it seems that the Cubs are intent on hiring guys who can lead them to where the game is going right? And it, it may not work, but I like the logic of that approach. And and specifically, Tommy Haddavy was talking about uh, the, the pitching staff and, and the pitching infrastructure and, and things like that. And he said, a goal for the staff in 2022 is to have each coach, quote, own and dominate an area for helping players. And the area that they believe Moscow's can help with is pitch design, something that, you know, obviously he has experience with uh, in the Yankees org. And of course, working at driveline, that's a, a big part of what they do. And I, I'm assuming, Brendan, like, I like hearing that. I think, you know, again, it just speaks to Hadavi and Jed and everybody in the organization, you know, and Carter Hawkins, of course, he's a big pitching guy, you know, having a, a vision for what they want the staff and the organization to be doing, producing, and, and how they want them going about it. But I'm, I'm assuming like when I read that quote and it's talking about pitch design and each coach on the staff having their own specialty, I, I read it immediately and I'm like, oh man, I'm going to have to listen to Brendan Gush about this for the next several years, uh,
1: just this specific quote. At minimum. At minimum, that's where the sport's going. Though, yeah, I, I immediately think of Caleb Killian when I hear about. Well, pitch and so design.
0: Brennan, to, to interrupt you, um, can you? I, I don't know if everybody knows exactly what that means. Can you elaborate? What does pitch design mean in in like the current
1: game of baseball? What What are they talking about here? Uh, it's. I mean, it's a, it's a multifaceted question, right? Like I'm not you know I'm not in the trenches with the pitch design, but talking to coaches and knowing what I what I do know, it's really trying to optimize a combination of factors that includes biokinetic chain that includes pitch grips, release point. Um, Tunnelling is kind of in its primitive stages as far as I can tell. but it seems to be that pitch grip, wrist angle, biokinetic chain. those are prominent features in designing and getting the most out of your pitches. So what I do know is some other teams in the American League they really stress this like biokinetic chain as well as wrist angle um, as part of their as part of their pitch design. I don't know what the Cubs are doing. We do know within the past couple of years, they've stressed sinkers uh, in on the hands to righties, and they've stressed spike curveball grips. You can think of uh, Rowan Wick as, as a prime example and Brad Week as well. So that's just them going into their quote unquote lab, or if you want to call it that, but it's probably just like all over the place now, looking at the super, super slow motion videos, getting an idea of what the ball is looking like out of their hand, spin, Using some of the sensors, looking at um, uh, spin rate, looking at release point, looking at all of that, and trying to get the most out of your pitches. And maybe, yeah, adding in a new pitch that actually might complement one of your ongoing pitches. Trying to add, for example, a complementary pitch to your cutter or a complimentary pitch to maybe Kyle Hendricks change-ups, like, like stuff like that, which makes me think of recently acquired pitcher Caleb Killian. So Killian was acquired from the Chris Bryant trade, and he's been, throughout his time in the minors, a dominant fastball guy. He throws a fastball type, whether it be a cutter, four seam, two seam, about 80% of the time, um, so I've been told. And he averages around at least recently in the Arizona Fall League, 94 to 96 in the force and 91 and 93 in the cutter. He can max out at 98, which is awesome. But recently for Killian, he's been trying to work in a curveball. And this is coming from Greg Zumak of at Ivy Futures on Twitter. And it appears that he's also working on a circle. Change up, which has pretty good tailing action as it finishes. Killian in the Arizona Fall League has been striking out so many batters, Corey, after his first outing, which was an atrocious outing. You have seven runs without even getting an out. Since then, he's had 14 innings. He struck out 18 guys, only has given up one run, and he's working in more curveballs. That's new. That would be a new pitch. Now, can they go into the lab, tying this back together, and, and, and design a curveball that complements his cutter? He's a really heavy cutter guy. I don't know. Maybe that's something they try to do. Likewise, maybe they try to improve that circle changeup, right? And for Killian, what attracts me the most about his repertoire is that he doesn't walk anyone, his, his walk numbers are absolutely insane. Walk per nine is around one, literally one. And double it so he's going to be up next year like there's no doubt in my mind Killian will be up next year now he already has this natural feel for the strike zone he already throws fast which is awesome and he has confidence with his fastball so the the foundation is there and that's why when we see hires like this of of Moscow's and bringing in guys to take someone like a Killian to the next level you have to be excited Because immediately this could be a contributor for next year, Corey, and you're already having success even without some of these current hires in competition in the Arizona Fall League that has some of the top prospects that are close to major league ready. This this is exciting. I think the process is
0: good here for the
1: Cubs, uh, or at least
0: it seems that way. So want to let's just stay on pitching, I suppose, and take a look at some of the things that have happened around major league baseball so far in terms of free agents and, and movement there. I think the big deal so far just looking at things, is Eduardo Rodriguez going to the Tigers? Um, five years, seventy-seven million. So that is about fifteen point four million dollars per year. Did include an opt-out clause, I believe, after two years in that contract. Um, you know, so the Tigers have been kind of progressing their way to getting more competitive. So this kind of feels like an off where they may go for it. They've been connected to guys like Carlos Correa, etc. So not surprised on the team or the move here um and then we saw Noah Syndergaard go to the Angels on a one-year 21 million dollar deal so he does get a little more than the qualifying offer that he declined Eduardo Rodriguez also received the qualifying offer and declined so you remember in the last episode we talked about kind of the penalties in terms of draft picks loss of international free agent money that the Cubs would incur if they signed uh, someone who had declined a qualifying offer. So, uh, those are the big ones. We also saw, I think I mentioned last week, Andrew Heaney go to the Dodgers, eight and a half million for just one year. Adam Wainwright re-upped with St. Louis for 17 and a half per year. Um, Charlie Morton re-upping in Atlanta. Uh, that is kind of the significant ones, at least as I'm looking at this list. It's not a long list of guys that have signed so far, but, um, Brennan, the two two different deals, right, in terms of looking at Eduardo Rodriguez and Noah Sindergaard, I think perhaps Sindergaard's is more relevant to the Cubs. He did have the qualifying offer, but I think in terms of it being, you know, the Angels are trying to win with two of the best players in the league, right, uh, which they have failed to do, and They took a one-year flyer on a guy coming off an injury, uh, but when he's good and healthy, can be one of the best in the game. So he had the qualifying offer attached, which for a lot of people kind of ruled the Cubs out. Uh, But when you look at the terms here for both Syndergaard, Rodriguez, what do you think this says for the pitching market? What do you think it says for what the Cubs might do, and and I guess, you know, you usually have a list of guys that you're really in on uh, for the Cubs. I, th- I think in in last week's episode, um, Steven Matz was was one of the guys you're really interested in. Do, do, do any of these prices, moves, years, things like that kind of move the needle for you anywhere? Like, put it all into Cubs' perspective for us.
1: The Eduardo Rodriguez deal for five years, $77 million. Is, is it... I think a great deal for uh, the the Tigers. And Rodriguez last year, ERA not the best, 4.7 ERA in 157 innings, but he did have a FIP of 3.3, and he threw you know, 31 starts. He was consistent, and he has a track record of being consistent with getting innings. So 77 million, when you look at it, especially at his age being 28, it's it's not that much, and now that I think about it, I, I I wonder if he would have gotten more as the market develops. Then you look at Syndergaard, got over twenty million for that one year deal, more than more than Kiwo, as you said. Um, that seems about right. I'm actually glad the Cubs were not in on that, just because of the you know draft pick compensation and and all of the ramifications that go with losing. Um, and signing someone with that with that QO attached, then you look at what uh, Barrill's got from Toronto—an extension there, seven years, a hundred, a little over a hundred and thirty million dollars. That is a long, long contract, and for the type of performance that Barrio has provides, the consistency—you know, mid-fips around, uh, or fips around mid-three, trending towards the upper threes. Consistently starting. That's the range that I'm kind of thinking about right now. And for Barrios, he may have taken a little bit of a cut ahead of uh one year um being a free agent after the 2022 season. So you do have to take that into account. But for Rodriguez, 77 million, I- I'm thinking that mats I'm thinking that Strowman. The early uh, offseason projections for them are not going to be that far off so stroman is around 120 million uh, for his asking price projection for mats we don't really know he does not have that qualifying offer attached so i could see Matt's getting around like you know 80 million or so given what rodriguez got maybe 90 million but he does have age kind of working against him if that's the case The Cubs are in in a really, really good spot right now. And they have the money to do it. We know they're working on trying to get deeper pitching. There's no reason they should go into 2022 without a solidified five-man rotation, given what deals are being signed, given the urgency that appears to be taking place around the league for all these uh, agents ahead of the, the lockout the Cubs are in a good spot man they can absolutely sign one of these guys for a good reasonable deal I don't see anyone going above you know 150 million uh in in the Cubs tier of like the the masses and the John Grays and and the Stroman maybe Stroman but I don't know I think that's on the upper end of the production, and the Cubs are in good shape here
0: yeah, so I think we knew at least to figure that the Cubs were not going to play in the qualifying offer pool for pitchers, um, you know, especially someone like it, it, it You you can certainly make the argument that the Cubs could forego those penalties if you're pursuing someone like Carlos Correa, Corey Seager, um, to help you on the offensive side. Pitching, a lot more volatility, and especially when you're looking at someone like Sindergaard, Uh, you know, that's a lot to give up in terms of the draft picks and the international free agency money for – A year of you know a situation where you would basically be hoping that he returns to form and is healthy, right? And if he does, it's a great gamble by the Angels, right? Uh, But for the Cubs, it's it's not really the the position to be in. Um, So I I think that uh, you know not surprising that the Cubs were not in on that. Um, But I do think guys who are without that qualifying offer in terms of pitchers um, and one-year deals, you know, that is certainly the type of thing that the Cubs should be looking at. Obviously, depends on who we're talking about and things like that. You know, the usual caveat of I don't know what Jed Hoyer's budget is here, so we'll see. Um, But the Cubs are not going to be in a position in 2022 where – you know this is their their this is their time right they're going for it all the chips are in and it has to work out right they can afford to take some risks take some flyers on guys for a year if they're coming back from injury or you know trying to reclaim their their prior status whatever it is they can afford to take those risks if they don't work out they don't work out you're on a year long commitment and big deal right you're not really going for it in 2022 anyway if they do work and they help you be competitive for a year. They don't add anything to your long-term payroll, and maybe 2022 is an interesting year that things come together and the Cubs are able to win. So I th- this is what we have so far in terms of the market, so it, it doesn't necessarily tell us too much, but I, I do think it's interesting to see some of these guys kind of trying to get it done early like before this this CBA situation happens if there's a lockout or whatever you know you you do wonder if we see some players just try to get this handled as as quickly as possible um you know sort of set a market yeah. and be done with it
1: the so in my mind it's it's balancing future beyond 2022 and the present so for cinder maybe it would have made sense right but I look at the market, and I like Mets, and I like Strowman, and I like those guys because their value extends beyond next season. And with Cal Hendricks, his contract will be up before you know it. Still has a few more years left, but still, it'll be up before you know it. Having some type of bridge towards the future, once these younger prospects do come up, having the stability would be huge. So if Syndergaard were on the market without Str- uh, Stroman, without Mats, without Gray, then maybe I would have been more into it, but just because we have an opportunity here to solidify the rotation to some degree, not totally, but to some degree for years beyond next season is is big for me. Then again, I do think about, okay, what does that mean for Killian? What does that mean? For Steele, does Keegan Thompson not get more chances because you're signing these stable guys? That's to be determined, and we don't even know if they're going to sign these guys, so I might be jumping ahead of myself here. But in principle, I, I want to go for stability, and because that's feasible on this market, you kind of have to, in my mind, ignore Cindergard. For now, if there were no qualifying offer attached, maybe the conversation does change. But even if there weren't, I, I still might have preferred going with the Strowman route and the mats route and, and the Gray route.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. And you know, again, the the Jed Hoyer has said, you know, even after the addition of Wade Miley, that there's obviously still a lot of work to be there uh, to be done in in terms of the rotation. And you know, really, he talked. Uh, about how that signing sort of just a lot, you know, it it was an opportunity that presented itself and now it sort of checks one box and allows them to quickly move on to everything else and, uh, you know, sort of just taking that opportunity. So there's certainly more work to be done and uh, we will see where Jed Hoyer decides to do that. Uh, But In keeping with uh, some of the rumors, uh, which is really what we have, like I said, the, the big news of the week was the Cubs hiring an assistant pitching coach, so we do not have anything concrete here to break down for you wash them
1: sign someone tomorrow yeah well
0: you guys know if something significant happens we'll be back and we do have a habit of talking about things and then it being out of date very quickly so um look brendan if we talk about Corey seager in a second here and we have to come on tomorrow night because the cubs signed Corey seager sign me up all right i'll clear my schedule (laughs) um (laughs) yeah i have no problem no problem doing that. But I I do want to talk about Corey Seager, uh, not because he is my preferred free agent target for the Cubs, which he is, is that because we share the same name, Uh, up to you, you guys can decide whatever you want. Um, But I, 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 I do want to talk about him in particular, because we've heard that the Cubs at least scouted the big shortstop market, which I think includes primarily Correa, Corey Seager, uh, Javier Baez. Are you? Do you know Javier Baez, Brendan? You may have heard I've of heard him of before. Him, um, yeah, a little, he's a, little... a World Series champion, actually. Oh, with who? The, not the Mets. Uh, let me clear that up <laughs> oh, if you're okay. if you're confused. Okay. Uh, definitely the Chicago Cubs, and Ooh, uh, Trevor Story. Okay. I think being the other, you know, kind of in that big group uh, of shortstops here. Um, we've heard that the Cubs have at least kicked the tires on on checking in on the big shortstop group. Does that mean that they're going to go for it? Not necessarily. Um, but when you consider Javi's departure, and then you kind of read between the lines on what Jed Hoyer said about Nico Horner at times, right? And we, we talked about Nico a ton, you and I, Brendan, uh, in terms of, you know, wanting to be more sure of what you had there and you really weren't able to get there because of the injuries in 2021 and not really getting to see him out there every day. And then you kind of look at some of the stuff that Jed Jed Hoyer has said and I think going back to um, some of the quotes in September, he talked about how he envisioned Nick Madrigal being the second baseman and Horner's versatility giving them sort of different options and a a direct quote from Jed Hoyer back at the time in September the end of September was on Nico quote he's going to be a significant piece of our team next year and going forward exactly what position I think is sort of undecided but that's the beauty of it as we go into this offseason he allows us to make different decisions it doesn't force us one way or the other. So we know they value versatility. We know Nico has played different positions. He's practiced at different positions. He's clearly willing to do what he needs to, to get in the lineup and make things work. But I also in hearing Jed talk, and the reason I bring this up is, is we, it doesn't sound like he's your shortstop, right? That's really what I'm getting at. Maybe he'll play there. Maybe he'll play there sometimes. I don't know. But Jed does not say he's our shortstop. Our middle infield is going to be Nico Horner and Nick Madrigal for 150 out of 162 games, right? That is not something that we've yeah. heard from him. So maybe that's where it ends up, but it doesn't seem like that is the exactly the plan. And I think when he talks about opening things up, mm-hmm. I would assume he means if we look into the shortstop market or there becomes a shortstop available, we're not going to steer clear of that move because of Nico Horner. So that brings all of my rambling to Corey Seager. Now, we have not gotten a, like, you know, sourced beat report, like the Cubs are offering Corey Seager a contract. But some uh, bigger national writers and, and writers from various sites, Mark Feinsand, R.J. Anderson, Bruce Levine mentioned it when he went on Marquee Network, they have mentioned the, the possibility of and the interest in Corey Seeger. So, relating it back to the discussion we were just having, you know, with Syndergaard and the qualifying offers, I think we know the answer here, Brendan. But is it worth it for the Cubs to look at that market with where they are at shortstop as an organization, you know, being kind of the backdrop here and paying those penalties for going after someone who has that qualifying offer to fill that shortstop gap?
1: When you talk, about jet's quotes regarding nico it seems like a foregone conclusion they're going to make a deal for a shortstop doesn't mean they're going to go fishing in the Corey seager carlos korea market per se but just hearing that again just makes me believe like a move is going to get done now does Corey seager make sense for the cobs uh he makes sense for probably every team if the price is right seager is one of the best bats in the league and he has that rare combination of not striking out that much, but also hitting for, you know, mild power, almost like that Anthony Rizzo-esque profile in the middle of the infield. That, that That's impressive. The question that I have and that is shared among a lot of people is, can he stay at shortstop for an, an, an elongated period of time? He is 27. He is a larger shortstop. He's not your typical shortstop standard. You know the hobby bias size and the Nico Horner size, and the outs above average score that he got last year suggests he's not the greatest defensive shortstop. He was in the bottom tenth percentile last year, and he does have a history of injuries. So this all begs the question: if he's asking for two hundred plus million dollars, which he absolutely is. And the Cubs do have to forego a draft pick and face those potential penalties if they continue to sign other guys who have qualifying offers attached. Is it worth it? And I, thank God I'm not making this decision, but I I personally would love to have Corey Seager. I think it's almost a a, a no-brainer. Having someone with Seager's hitting profile ages the best. When you're 27 years old and you're only striking out at a 15% clip and scratching, you know, 25, 30 homers in a healthy season, that is a rare type of player. That's why Rizzo, even right now, in his age 32, he still had above average offense, right? And again, for the infield, middle infield, that is valuable for Seager. But I can see the Cubs opting for someone else. They want to take more of a safe route. They do have Tons of infield talent coming up through the system. Christian Hernandez, Ed Howard, um, I mean, really half a dozen shortstops right now that could be viable options in the next two years. Does that have implications for their future if the Cubs do Stein Seager? I don't think so. I think Seager is more or so destined for a corner infield spot to begin with. So I don't think that precludes them from doing that, which might make that type of deal even more attractive Corey. but regardless if it's seager if it's story if javi does come back i i think we're going to get a shortstop and they may they may go elsewhere there's one option that that does kind of intrigue me not to distract here too much but the arizona diamondbacks are the worst team right now in the league they do have nick ahmed Signed for an eight million AAV for the next couple of years, and they may want to dish him out and save money and maybe get back like a like a mid lower tier prospect. Nick Ahmed is the best defensive shortstop in baseball. His odds above average is literally quite literally 100 he's the best so they may go that route and you can still give nico chances against certain matchups and promote his development while also getting a pretty high floor with the best defensive shortstop in the league so i can see them going multiple directions but at the end of the day i i, I do see them acquiring someone at least
0: yeah i i think that you know the lack of an immediate answer at shortstop and you've got some very talented shortstop prospects but they're all very young right yeah. Um, you know, Christian Hernandez, Preciado, like those guys are not close. Um, so you can't really, you know, Ed Howard, uh, you know, there, there's a lot in the organization, but they're not close. And so you can't really plan around that. I think when you take that sort of glaring hole, um, and you look at where a lot of these premier free agents are, and like you said, potential trade targets, as as we've mentioned a lot, that's something that Jed Hoyer's alluded to, sort of hinted at, maybe foreshadowed, if you will, uh, when acquiring a lot of these younger prospects and making these trades, I, I do think we see something there. And I think, you know, the lack of kind of that commitment to like, oh, no, like Nico's our shortstop, there's no question about that, I think also kind of adds fuel to that fire. The rumors, at least suggesting that people are hearing the Cubs are checking this market out, seeing what's going on. I, I think we see something. To me, if you're talking about Seager, Correa, I, I think it is worth it to pay the, the the penalties that you will for for the qualifying offer um, being declined, and, and you, you know have, going. Th- do you have a preference of those? It's two Seager. Guys? I love Corey Seager. I think he's great um I've said this to you I don't know if I've said it on here but I've said it to people a million times like I think he would wear out that left center basket um he hit so many of those line drives to left center he Dodger Stadium also a good uh field for those types of home runs and I I just think he's I think he'd be a great hitter for this lineup and I think
1: if the money is equal if the money is equal you still go Seager over Correa
0: I, I like Corey. I don't know. I, I like Corey Seeger. That's just where I just sort of have assumed Correa's going to Detroit or the Yankees or something like that.
1: I, so uh, <laughs> He's going to get at least. Yeah, two
0: my, my head already. is just on yeah. Seeger. I, I think it just makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, I've seen some people throwing around the the brothers Seeger would be not a bad way to spend your off season if you're the Cubs.
1: It seems kind of fun though, too, right? Having both those guys. There. Uh,
0: you know, yeah, and probably production wise, better than the Romine brothers. Um, you know, no offense to hey, Andrew and Austin, know. who were fun players, but uh, you know, production wise, I think the Seegers probably have them beat by a, a pretty considerable margin. If we're doing the whole family affair thing. Um, but you know and and Seeger moving off of shortstop eventually like yeah fine like versatility is cool like if he needs to move to third or you know wherever like yeah okay like we'll deal with that another time like i don't i don't really care about that we got to bridge the gap now um and i think when you're looking at at those two guys in particular they're not going to mess up your competitive window, right? Even if 2022 isn't the all-in year, like Corey Seager's 27 years old right now. Like if you're ready in 2023 and that's a team that's led by Brendan Davis and and guys like that, or, you know, you're moving toward that at least in, in 2023 or late 2022, whenever it is, like Seager's still going to be under 30 years old and I would imagine very productive. So I, I don't think you're mortgaging the future um, for that type of thing. And we're not talking about necessarily doing five huge deals like we're maybe talking about one in this offseason for the Cubs to sort of go in with the mix of likely a bunch of one or two year low risk deals right so I think you can afford to make that one splash because it sets you up in a better position um, you know for the future as you go forward there because I I don't I don't think either of those guys um, in Seager and Correa are going to be the type where, in like I said, in 2023 or 2024, you're feeling bogged down by that contract, right? Like the Cubs have so much payroll flexibility. Um, You you don't have to push it all in now, but there's good guys available at a position that you need to fill. And you don't always have the ability to put stuff like that off, right? Like the stars are available at the position when they're available. And sometimes you kind of need to think of... The you need to think years out, right? Not just for 2022. And I, I think it was uh, Michael Cerami, who's been on the show several times over at Bleacher Nation, who wrote an article. You know, kind of just looking at whether the Cubs could afford to only go for that short term you know, low risk um, type contract, right? And the argument that he sort of put forth in in paraphrasing was that it's fine if you identify who you want and you sign a bunch of guys on one or two year deals. If the season goes well, great. If it doesn't and you flip some guys, also cool because you've executed this strategy, but you run the risk. Like what if you don't get those guys, right? Like, you can have a great plan for, yeah, we want to sign these guys for a year or two, and and this is what we're going to do. We're not going to sort of push all our chips in, and then we'll clear things out and do this again when Brennan Davis is up and Braylon Marquez is being utilized as a pitching weapon and, and stuff like that. But what if you don't get those guys, right? Then you just sort of miss out. 2022 has very little prospect of being competitive, and it's sort of just—you're uh, just sort of spinning your wheels. So it's not to say that signing— Correa or Seeger is completely necessary there's a lot of different ways to address this but it, it goes back to the point that I was making where sometimes these guys are available and even if you're not going for it completely now you have to look at well is this going to be available in the next offseason are we going to be able to fill this hole when we are ready to really push all our chips in and sometimes the answer is no so they're available mm-hmm. now you've got the payroll flexibility all of that is to say, Brendan, like, give me Corey Seager. Like, just do it, Jed.
1: Let's go. <laughs> I mean, sign me up for that. Right now, the Cubs have $98 million projected by MLB cots for next year. 98. That's including arbitrations, including all the taxes. It's including Wade Miley. 98. So if they want to inch towards what they've been at for the last few years— they, they can still go out and get pitching and a Corey Seager. So even last season, they had $173 million payroll, Corey. So they have, in that case, if they even match last year when they were rebuilding, not rebuilding, but when they, you know, gave away everyone. At the end of the year, hundred and seventy three, and maybe 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 a little bit less, maybe a little bit more, but in that range, right? So if you're thinking, okay, Right now, we're at 98. You have 70 million of wiggle room. Seager might cost you 30. Stroman might cost you 20. Matt might cost you like 15 or so, maybe 20 as well. All this is to say is there's a path forward getting some of these big guys. But we've never heard the Cubs connected to bigger names like Seager. There's two legitimate reports connecting the Cubs to Seager while also hinting the, the i mean the president of baseball ops hinting they're still going to be active in the pitching market now are they mutually exclusive i don't know i think my preference right now is to if i if i had to pick one direction would be to spend that money on the pitching side and going for a cheaper option of shortstop but maybe we get lucky maybe this is our time where we get you know a couple big splashes and we do end up surprising ourselves in the competitiveness for for 2022
0: yeah and you know i i think the example you brought up with ahmed and you know there there's certainly other uh avenues to explore in terms of a trade you know that we were kind of talking about last week like where it's the cubs time to take advantage of some stupid front office with some team that stinks right and that sounds perfect right like go do that jed like whatever but like yeah I'm. I'm. I want to see. Uh, I want to see this plan come to life for Jed and and Carter Hawkins. Because I, I yeah. as we've said before, like I do think that there is a path to competitiveness without sacrificing the future and 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 things like that for 2022. Um.
1: Well, there is. There is. I mean, the the way, if if you slot in, and maybe I, maybe we can do this. If you slot in just like two pitchers to that rotation, and given the offensive projections, they should be within like a standard deviation of the of, of a playoff spot next year. And if that's the case, you're obligated to add to this team. You, you just are. You can fall into a potential playoff run. We've seen it now twice in the past two real seasons, longer seasons, with Washington and Atlanta, where they're below 500 around the all-star break after the all-star break and they end up going the the complete distance you're obligated to at least chase that while well, also being you know, mindful of the future but who's to say you can't do both and that's been the argument now for my life as a fan for well over a decade whether a rebuild is even worth it and for the cup situation about 10 12 years ago course it was but they almost had no choice because the infrastructure wasn't there the infrastructure is there now there's a legit path forward where they can where they can do both but the the question i wanted to, to ask you Corey, is given where they're at pitching wise and shortstop wise and let's say we do have a little bit of a restriction spending would you prefer them to to solidify their pitching or to get a staple there at shortstop like what would you what would you pick if you had to pick one shortstop shortstop yeah. i mean yeah i think right now like i'm, I'm pitching so we, we i i you know i think there. sort
0: of i i you know and i don't know if like i'm conditioned just sort of by theo or whatever but i you know i just tend to think pitching is a lot more volatile and harder to rely on and project out years from now so um that's mm. just sort of where
1: i would defer to i guess you are yeah you're brainwashed by theo i see yeah. how it is i mean it's fair it's fair the only thing was like with with Seager, I, I love his bat. Like, I actually think his bat, from a projectability standpoint, probably ages better than Correa. The only thing I have is the injuries and the defensive uh, competency as, as he starts to, to age. And that might be okay. But um, that's the one thing kind of holding me back where I'm like, huh, maybe I just rather spend on Strowman just because he seems uh, less. With less flaws, so to speak, if that makes sense. But listen, if Seager is signed by this team, like I'll probably change my mind pretty fast.
0: Well, and I mean, here's an idea call me radical, Brendan, but why not get both? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Seager, Stroman, go sign
0: some guys on one year deals. Call it a day, Jed. You did what you got to do, right?
1: You know they could do that though. Like, they, have the, they have just, the budget I, to
0: do. They have I, the money to do it, even if they're working on a tighter budget than we want them to be working on.
1: I mean, it would cost them fifty million dollars to get both. It puts them at a hundred and forty million for next year. That's it. And They still have room to to, to yeah. spend. So, I mean, yeah, sign me up. Yeah, so
0: uh, the one other thing that we wanted to uh, draw your attention to is the uh, NPB posting of Seiya Suzuki, an outfielder. Uh, You may hear the Cubs connected to it. Uh, You know, if you're checking in on Cubs blogs and things like that, I'm sure you've seen Suzuki's name thrown about, uh, but he is an outfielder. Uh, who is going to be posted soon. Uh, I believe that process is going to get going. I think that was all approved, so it is going to happen. Um, And just reading a a brief scouting report from Baseball America, just to give you guys an idea of what we're talking about here. Uh, He is a right-handed hitter. Uh, with high extra base hit totals and a strong walk to strikeout ratio. He is a five time NPB All Star who won the Central League batting title in 2019 and boasts a career slash line of a 308 batting average, a 399 on base percentage, and a 534 slugging percentage. Scout C. Suzuki is a potential average hitter once he adjusts to MLB velocity with above-average game power and raw power that grades as a 70 on the 2080 scouting scale. Uh, he is, I believe the scouting report goes on to say uh, good range in right field and an above average arm. So they also go on to talk about his swing as being, uh, you know, better fitting for Major League Baseball, more of kind of like that uppercut, go for power and damage type swing. Uh, the scouting report, you know, is is quoted as saying, you know, as opposed to that middle of the field or inside out approach uh, favored by many Japanese hitters. So that's just a brief kind of scouting report. Basically, an outfielder, a lot of power, uh, and maybe a a more MLB-geared game rather than an NPB-geared game. So the reason that I think the Cubs are going to be connected. Obviously, you know, some of these reports and scouts are very high on him. One in, uh, you know, one major league scout said he's the best, he's been the best player in Japan in the last few years, reminded them of AJ Pollock when he was an all star with the Diamondbacks. So, some very like high praise for Suzuki. And uh, I think. One point that was made in in some of the reading that I was doing um, from – I think it was from Bleacher Nation, but I I can't remember where it was quoted from – was just talking about how the Cubs are in a good place to take on this type of situation because even if there is an adjustment period with him coming over to – the U.S. And, and playing Major League Baseball, different league, making all those adjustments—it's sort of that same calculated risk as the rest of this stuff we're talking about in terms of 22. 22. Like, if he has an adjustment period, so what, right? Like, you, you're you're already going to be kind of taking some risks and not really sure and needing some things to work out uh, to go your way in twenty twenty-two to be as successful as you want to be. So this would just sort of be another one of those. You can take the time to let him properly adjust and to let MLB pitchers sort of get the book on him and and make their adjustments and adjust back, et cetera. And, you know, you're, again, you know, to keep using that phrase, you're not pushing all your chips in. So if it doesn't work, okay, fine. Like, as, you know, as long as he were in the spot you wanted by 2023, et cetera, like that's fine. But the Cubs do need some outfield help, Um They do need guys that can hit for power and and have that raw power that, you know, can kind of uh, put the ball on Waveland, if you will. So I I think this checks a lot of boxes, and, you know, depending on what the posting fee is, what he's looking for contract-wise, things like that, I, I think this is definitely a situation where you'd want the Cubs to be checking in on
1: this, for sure. I don't know if this is valid or not. It is interesting. There's a way to track play discipline. Um, and according to this, his outside-the-zone swing rate or his chase rate was under 20% last year, and that would put him in the top 90th percentile of Major League Baseball. So you combine that with the power, the ability to not strike out that much seems pretty projectable, he did play right field, so I'm thinking, okay, what does that mean for Hayward? And I know you're probably rolling your eyes, but he's on the team, at least for now. And does that mean Hayward immediately goes down to a bench spot, or do they put Suzuki into left field? And do you want to overwhelm Suzuki in uh, an unfamiliar position in a brand-new league He's 27 years old. He's a young guy. I don't know what that 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 means for for the Cubs and and Hayward. But if they're seriously looking at him and they do sign him, and he wants to play right field and that's comfortable and that's his best position, Hayward better not play, dude. Um, love the guy, but we gotta be we gotta be realistic here uh as far as money goes no idea what he's going to be asking for but you have to think it's not going to be outrageous and i like that analogy it kind of fits he kind of personifies the cubs current transition point where maybe he does need a year to acclimate to major league pitching and and adjust but so do the cubs their entire organization so they may start to click right when suzuki starts to click towards uh, the the latter half of next season or the beginning of 2023.
0: Yeah. So just wanted to put that on your radar. Again, you know, similar to I think Seager in a way, like the Cubs have kind of been suggested as one of the teams that are interested. Maybe they're checking in on the situation, but we're really lacking, you know, really concrete like the, you know, smoke where there might be fighter-type stuff with any of this. But wanted to put that on your radar. You know, again, especially when you're talking about some of the guys. um, You know, Nick Castellanos is a, a good example. You know, he does have that qualifying offer attached. And in addition to... Maybe looking at trades, you know, Jed Hoyer's talked about being opportunistic, creative, etc., you know, going after a guy that is highly touted from the NPB and taking that risk, I, I suppose, if you want to phrase it that way, of, of you know, uh, whether he can make those adjustments and have that same success against Major League Pitching there, that could be one way for them to go about this. It's like I said, at the very least, a situation that you'd like them to be checking in on. Um, just someone who, you know, Suzuki has a lot of rave reviews from the MLB scouts that have seen him and it's, the Cubs are in a position to check that out. So, uh, wanted to put that on your radar. Uh, and I think that's about where we're at in Major League Baseball and, and things that are, uh, as the podcast implies, Cubs related. So, as always, we will jump on if anything happens with the way things are going and, you know, the looming uh, CBA deadline and all that other stuff. It wouldn't surprise me if we get back on here because something has happened. Uh, but, if not, we will talk to you guys next week, uh, and maybe we'll talk to you sooner. I don't know. Talk to Jed Hoyer and Carter Hawkins. They can be found at the offices around uh, yeah, around Wrigley Field, so uh, you can ask them. Um, but I think that's what we have for you. So as always, thank you for listening to the Cubs Related Podcast. We will talk to you soon, and as always, go Cubs.